1: Welcome to Escaping Society, Mile Marker 113. I'm Teresa. I'm Gumby. And we're chugging along down this podcast road, getting to somewhere or nowhere. I'm not sure. It's It's a cold, blustery January day in North Carolina. And Gumby, how are you?
0: I'm pretty good. I feel like I'm getting somewhere.
1: Well, that's good. Yeah, you have been doing really well with your skills and all sorts of things, activities, and just keeping a a really good focus. I'm kind of... Thank you. I'm kind of... Uh, I don't know. I just spilled Gumby's beer in the van. It was awesome.
0: Yeah, and I'm still upbeat.
1: <laughs> yeah, you are. So uh, what's been going on this past week? We were going to do this podcast on... Wednesday, and I was like, oh man, then we're not going to be able to talk about any stories that happened that uh, happened at the kids' classes or class that you teach. But uh, here it is Friday. So we did our kids' class yesterday, survival skills and sort of hobo camp out in the woods. And you had them kids breaking beer bottles like a good hobo group should.
0: Yeah, I don't want to, I try not to get into too many details about the kids' class to protect their privacy and everything, um, just kind of general broad strokes, but it went well. Yeah, we picked it back up after the holidays, so we had, I don't know, maybe like a month off or so, uh, same group of kids I was working with before with one edition, and uh, it was good. The theme, this class, like the uh, classes generally go in like four-week uh, segments, and um these four weeks are about bushcrafting and, uh, including with that, like wooden tools, knots, um, flint napping, and, uh, you know, just kind of building your own furniture and stuff like that. So I've got them started on chairs because I need to repair my, my bushcraft chair I had built out there, which broke. Um, so that was hard work for, you know, uh, a diverse age range of kids. Um having to saw and cut down trees, and there's these little ribbons of, like, lines we're not supposed to cross, which, of course, I pay no attention to. <laughs> and the kids try to remind me, like, oh, I think this is a boundary line. And I'm like, well, you know what that means? That means be sneaky. And damn if one of the girls didn't go, like, there's this little busybody that lives nearby that's already come over once concerned about us having a fire out there. And damn if one of the girls didn't go right in her backyard <laughs> to cut down a tree. So uh, we'll see if there's any repercussions of that. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, I'd say probably the kids, like, they, they can't really envision the chair yet. They haven't successfully built a chair. I'm excited about the chair because I know how comfortable the damn things are. But the kids don't know yet. All this looks like to them is work. <laughs> but what they were excited about was the little intro lesson I gave on flint napping. All I showed them was how to break off a, uh, a beer bottle bottom, which is typically the part you use for making an arrowhead. And uh, I just recently, more recently, learned you can use the other parts of the bottle to make what's called an ishi blade, a really cool um, knife, although it doesn't look like what you traditionally think of as a knife, but it's an effective blade. So it's cool with one beer bottle, you can make a tool that can hunt an animal with, of course, other stuff, the, the rest of the arrow, the bow, etc., and a tool that you can dress out the animal if you've succeeded in hunting it. And uh, so I just showed them how to break it off, like putting a nail um head first into the bottom so the flat part the 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 big part of the nail is hitting the bottom you you shake it up and down and the bottom part pops off and they thought that was pretty cool
1: <laughs> oh and they thought I'd... that was
0: awesome. Yeah. And then I tried to show them something that I can't always do because it hurts, but there's this method where you can fill a bottle up mostly with water and then hit it on the top really hard and the bottom pops off. And damn if I didn't get it, like in a number of seconds, yeah. I was telling the kids, like, don't expect me to get this, but I'll show you how, you know, kind of the technique that it's done and boom. So that was pretty cool. The gods it, were smiling on me that day. I
1: think at least one of the kids got it to work.
0: What, they hit it on the top and knock the bottom off? I thought so. I don't think so.
1: Oh, well, it was was interesting for me because I'm sitting on the ground working on my own project and there's kids behind me with beer bottles full of water trying to break the bottom off. And, you know, of course, when the bottom comes off, the water comes out and I'm just on the ground with the kids behind me hitting beer bottles.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And it's so kind of interesting to me. Like there's a whole bunch of things that thoughts and ideas that kind of like Connect themselves to the idea of teaching kids. And we just did this yesterday. So it's still kind of fresh on our minds. One of the things that I kind of get a kick out of is the diversity of our life experience. Like here we are doing a podcast saying, fuck the government, talking about like racial issues and trannies and, you know, all this shit. And then we're working with kids where, of course, our focus is not at all on that. We're like, you know, dealing with kids, like kind of watching our language more. It doesn't feel like. I don't feel inhibited. I just feel like my focus is different. It feels just as authentic. But you know, with a bunch of kids, I'm not like my focus isn't on government and politics and stuff like that. It's on skills. So it's kind of like, I don't know, it's interesting to me that when I pay attention throughout the week, like, I've got this extreme working with kids. And that's part of me. That's a real me. But that me is so different from another part of my week, where I feel like a homeless guy that's like having a duck from the cops that's like, <laughs> you know, like an outlaw. And uh, it's just, uh, it's it's strange navigating that.
1: And something else that kind of just came up in me yesterday was how awesome it is that this group of kids, and then we'll have a new group of kids starting next week.
0: Yeah, we're about to have like Thursday and Friday with different groups of kids, which is going to bring in about like $300 A week for us.
1: And these kids, their parents don't want them to have to wear masks and attend things and like socially distance and everything. They just want their kids to not only learn about these skills, but also to have a childhood. And as much as, you know, I'm not a parent, I don't know all the, the hardships that parents endure, but good on these parents for trying to just let their kids be kids. Wow, what a concept.
0: Yeah. And the parents, especially now, I I feel like this group of parents in particular, they're hiring me. They actually sought me out for like half a year and I kept telling them, I don't think I'm the right person for the job. I'm, you know, this reason or that reason. And then after a while, they're like, well, we still haven't found somebody like, would you still like to do it? And finally, I'm like, all right, I'll try this opportunity. And uh, it seems to be working out pretty good. But the reason why they're after me in particular for one thing, I used to have a really good reputation doing this kind of stuff in the past, but I'd say, you know, as Rumi says, destroy your reputation, I've pretty much destroyed my reputation pretty well. But I the helped. memory of it lingers. I helped. You helped? A little. I don't think so. Oh, uh,
1: I helped destroy your reputation. How? Well. There are many ways, but
0: How? Me- Give me one. <laughs>
1: Well, being a drama queen, and also
0: oh, every woman's a drama queen. Yeah, it could have been anybody.
1: And also, um, when we did our uh, well, when we did our summer camps a couple years ago before the pandemic. Oh
0: yeah, yeah, there was that. Yeah, she, uh, yeah, Teresa really lit into one of our counselors in training in a. uh... (laughs) Oh my God! They were doing a summer camp, and this counselor in training was just fucking off. He was like you know, your typical like kind of spoiled modern teenager, like everything we gave him to do. He was supposed to be like our help. (laughs) And uh, he was just so unhelpful. So uh, towards the end of the week, he had gotten involved with this kind of skirmish with the little kids. One kid said he had like been too rough with them. And Teresa is a lot newer at teaching than I am. So I decided to kind of like Teresa asked me, can you handle this? And I was like, well, how about you handle that? Because I kind of wanted Teresa to, like, learn how to navigate those kind of situations. And, woo, man, you lit into that kid. His parents came in, like, at the last day. It was just really bad timing and too much force, but... Yeah, there was that, but I don't think that destroyed my reputation. I did that all by myself. Yeah. People don't remember me for what you did. They remember me for what I did. <laughs> and the other big reason why they seek me is the masks. They don't want their kids wearing masks. So they're. I'd say these parents in particular are parents that tend to be more behind the that. Uh, we're not supporting the vaccine mandates. We don't want our kids trapped in masks for their entire fucking lives. So- That stands me out from other potential outdoor educators is that, uh, yeah, I've kind of gotten comfortable on the fringes. So if there's things that aren't, like, really legit that might be kind of skirting the law, I'm kind of, like, the pick. (laughs) But that can come back to bite you in the ass, as I hope they don't find out too soon, like a neighbor, you know, crossing boundary lines and stuff.
1: The busybody.
0: Yeah. You hire an outlaw, it's kind of like picking up a rattlesnake, like yeah. you know the old Navajo story where the boy picks up the rattlesnake to warm him up, and then the rattlesnake bites him, and it's like, why'd you bite me? And the snake says, when you picked me up, you knew I was a rattlesnake. Ooh. When you hired me, you knew I was a hobo. That's true. But I do try to behave. I'm not trying to like uh, wreck this, because I care about the kids, and I care about what they're learning. And the other thing I was thinking of with these kids is I'm hired... To kind of prepare them if society collapses, I think this is a group of parents that's really looking at the way things are going and like, man, this is not going to wind up well. And uh, I cannot do what they hire me for. I cannot prepare kids to get ready for the collapse of society three hours a week.
1: Um, Once a week, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, once a week. I just
0: can't do it. So I try to do what I can just to kind of like, like Teresa said, give them some semblance of a childhood, at least sometime outside. The last hour of this three hour session I have with them is like, this is your hour. And sometimes they work on something like building a fort. Sometimes they just go goof off and climb trees and sit around the fire and talk about all that dumb crap teenagers talk about, (laughs) you know, uh, but I think that's good. I mean, the main thing is they're not around devices, they're outside. And, uh, I feel like that is the best thing I can give them. Yeah. So it's kind of a deal I have with them. You stick with me for two hours and just try to kind of, you know, humor me, even if it's a skill you're not interested in. Just try. And then for that last hour, Whatever, it's whatever. Yours. Yeah.
1: Is there whatever, whatever time?
0: Yeah, that's what I call it. Whatever, whatever time. hmm
1: So yeah, that happened yesterday. And then uh something else that was pretty prevalent today, just this morning, Gumby, you told me about... Something happened to our Facebook page, like the Escaping Society Facebook page. Yeah,
0: we're still not clear exactly what that is. You got that notification, too.
1: I got it. And it basically, well, Gumby told me that um, the Facebooks said that we were going to be punished. We were going to be um, ostracized for 90 days or more.
0: Restricted.
1: Restricted. But the page is still up.
0: I wonder. It wasn't clear what the restriction was, but I'm starting to think, since I can still post things on it, that the restriction is that it is less promoted, so it will be further down on people's newsfeed or something for the next 90 days. I don't know. <laughs> Facebook comes out with all these stupid like punishments that, I mean, are just ridiculous.
1: And what was it for?
0: Well, they're reason is that we've had too many posts that, according to them, um, have been corrected by independent fact checkers. And the final post, um, and this is a great example of what's fucked up about independent fact checkers, the post was something to the effect of, if I had had three vaccinations against smallpox in, I don't know, however many months, and I still got smallpox, I'd have some questions. Now, how the fuck are you going to fact check that? I mean it's an a uh, it's a oh, what was the word you used? It's an opinion it's not I'm not saying that and it's a hypothetical a uh, hypothetical that's the word I was looking for it's a hypothetical if I had gotten three vaccines in a certain amount of time and then I got that disease, I would have some questions. How can you fact check that what is the fact check like no, actually, you would not have questions. <laughs> I mean, it was – and then they the the reasoning was that apparently the polio had some breakthrough cases or whatever. The polio vaccine? Yeah, the polio vaccine, and that was completely beside the point. Okay. If I got the polio vaccine and got polio, guess what? I'd have some fucking questions. (laughs) Fact check. So it's just ridiculous, and it's not about – False information, um, as came out in court, apparently Zuckerberg had to admit that these fact checkers aren't always like, you know, doing the research, chasing down the facts. It's got more to do with opinion. Um, he's admitted it, and still the fact checkers are out there, and still Facebook is forming censorship, forming restrictions based on what the fact checkers find, or apparently opine.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's just gotten. I mean, I know Gumby has uh, he's said like, yeah, this is happening, Teresa. But time and again, it just blows my mind at how it it touches. You know, for me, getting that notification, it's like, what? The what's wrong with that? I don't
0: understand.
1: And it's coming for you. And it's coming for you too. It's just a matter of time. <clears throat> Excuse me.
0: That was the most girly cough.
1: Uh (coughs) I got the black lung pop. (coughs) The other day, so we were, we've been experiencing amazing weather this, well, through December. (coughs) Excuse me. I choked on my spit. Um, It felt like we had gone on vacation to a tropical place. And then it got cold and it actually snowed the other day.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: the plan was to go do something inside because, I mean, you can Are stay you in the van. Are you about talk
0: about the movie? I was going to mention All right. It. As a courtesy, I want to just tell anybody, if you've not seen the newest Matrix movie, Resurrections, We're going to do some spoilers here. We're going to talk about some shit that could ruin the movie for you or affect your watching of the movie. So if you're one of those people that have not seen it and want to go in clean, I respect that. Uh, Skip ahead in the podcast. If it sounds like we're still talking about The Matrix, skip ahead more because we are about to get into some shit.
1: I don't know if it's still available, um, if you can get like a free trial of HBO Max or, or something like that. Save your money uh, don't go to the movie theater. I think we kind of missed out on a beautiful opportunity to sit and watch the snow as it happened.
0: Yes. I should have stayed in the van and watched the snow for those two hours or three hours.
1: So something that I didn't do before I, we went in to watch the movie was I, for some reason, like on the um, trailers, I noticed that it said directed by Lana Wachowski. And, uh, I was like, Lana Wachowski, wasn't it like the Wachowski brothers? I wonder if this is like their daughter, or maybe even their granddaughter or something. I don't know how old they were. It's only been since the 90s and early 2000s. So here I was thinking it was like, okay, the the torch has been passed. The next generation is, you know, making this movie. The trailers were very slick. They uh, they hit all the right buttons um, for a lot of people. And this Lana Wachowski, I still, you know, didn't look anything up. I come to find out that Lana Wachowski used to be, I think, Larry Wachowski. And his brother became Lily Wachowski. So they're now the Wachowski sisters. And that would have probably, yeah, Sherlock, that's what I feel too. Um, That would have probably clued me in on how woke this movie was. And also, anything that's had Keanu Reeves in it, I don't know. I think he's um, he's just collecting paychecks.
0: Whoa, I'm like totally deep in doing movies that make me think about stuff.
1: But at least we went in without knowing and gave it a chance and gave it our money. And um,
0: damn, sucks for us. My opinion of the movie was I felt like they had some neat ideas. For instance, um, Neo being back in The Matrix and then being part of making a movie that now The Matrix includes the movie, the trilogy, the original trilogy of The Matrix. I thought that was kind of a neat idea. And there was a few other like kind of neat ideas, but it was like a few neat uh, ideas, but they didn't have anything to embed the ideas in. The story itself was kind of... I got to the end and kind of felt like, I don't know, the dialogue fell flat. The I mean, it just felt kind of pointless. And there was so much uh, what felt like... Um, woke propaganda in it, For, or transhumanist propaganda. More and more, when I talk about like trans stuff, I'm realizing I'm talking about all trans stuff, from transgender to transhuman. It's the same goddamn thing. Mm-hmm. Um, when we did our transhuman series, it was kind of an idea we were exploring. I wasn't sure about, but as time has progressed quickly, these two things have become just concretely linked, in my opinion. Um, I am absolutely convinced that the transgender, this puzzling, like how the hell did our whole culture just decide that a man can say he's a woman and be entitled to go in women's locker rooms? How the fuck does that happen overnight? I think the answer is the transhuman agenda, which is much older than the transgender push. They're linked. They help each other. And so you see both in this movie. Um, Already, like now when I watch the original Matrix trilogy, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I see it more as a transhuman commercial. Yeah, the machines are technically the enemies, but look who the heroes are. They're transhumans. And to all intents and purposes, when they download themselves into the computer and exist in the Matrix, they're kind of moving into posthumanism. Right. And they're superheroes. They're the people that are woke. When everybody else is sleeping. Mm. And so you see it now, like somebody has an avatar, they go in there, and guess what? Some of the avatars have bright colored hair, like social justice warriors. <laughs> and now the machines have actually, some of the machines have made friends with the humans. So they built this new city, I think it's called Io, and uh, Nairobi is like the Niobe. leader. Niobe. Mm-hmm. Nairobi is like the leader of this city, and they have this little thing in there about how we couldn't have done it without the machines. It's because of the... The uh, Synthians. Yeah, the Cynthia. Uh, I don't know what the hell that...
1: That was now the machines that like were on their side.
0: Okay. So without the machines' help, we couldn't have done this new step in humanity. And I'm thinking, man, that sounds like a transhumanist commercial. <laughs> you know, it's just, I don't know. I was really turned off by the movie, and it's not just the viewpoint that it was at. I thought the story was really lame. It's like, for some mysterious reason, the machines... Oh, and there's that whole transhumanist theme of like, um, you don't have to die. Yeah. Look how the machines just decided, oh, all right, we don't want Neo and Trinity to die. So they just rebuilt them, basically. They didn't die. And so now they're in this matrix and uh, poor Carrie Ann, what's her name? Moss. Carrie Ann Moss. She's like getting old, you know, she's still an attractive older woman. But what is it with all these movies taking old people that they won't just let go? They won't just let age out and they keep putting them in parts that like, man, you are too fucking old for this part. It's weird. What is that? Is it just that no like good characters are being written for younger people anymore? So people are still like, man, I'd rather watch Bruce Willis when he's 80 years old, still dying hard. (laughs) And he is dying hard, isn't he?
1: You know what I thought too was the new characters that were supposed to be replacing the old characters, like now they're young. It's, it, really reminded me of the cartoon Muppet Babies.
0: It's just like,
1: you know, young Kermie and young, you know, whatever.
0: And I hate it when they replace (laughs) like Miss Piggy, they've got all these different tech techniques for getting a young actor to play an existing part. And inevitably, what you find the young actor brings to it is like, consider the original Morpheus played by Lawrence Fishburne. He's very stoic. He has a certain way of talking, you know, it's kind of deep and strange. And inevitably, the young person who takes that role is snappy, sarcastic, mm. you know, just like overconfident. And I don't know, that personality just turns me off. It always has, and now it's prevalent, you know. If I if I saw that character, that kind of personality in a movie in the 80s, he would be the bad guy. Mm. He'd be the guy that, like, you had to, like, overcome, this overconfident, sarcastic, snappy guy. And now it's like every young character is, like, either that or trying to be. Yeah. So save your money. You're welcome. Well, I wouldn't—yeah, I'd say save your money. But when it comes out for free, check it out. See what you think. Because I think propaganda is worth watching just because it's propaganda. When you have your eyes open and you're like, oh, let's see how they do propaganda. Um. But yeah, the whole message just fell flat. And then they go, like, at the end to uh, little Doogie Hauser, who's taking over the next Matrix. <laughs> and uh, man, he's such a pale echo from the architect of the original Matrix, the guy with the white beard and white hair and white suit that just seemed kind of godlike and creepy. And now there's Doogie Hauser? <laughs> Doogie Hauser took over the Matrix and now they just like, they show up. And, uh, you know, and of course, Trinity's got to be the one who flies now. So she's the one with all the power and they show up and what do they say to Doogie Hauser at the end? What's the big finale of this big new resurrected adventure? It's just like, whoa, we just wanted to come in to like totally thank you for giving us another chance to change the world. Whoa, I'm so deep. <laughs> it's like what the fuck, man? This is it would totally have been better to watch the snowfall.
1: Yeah. There was a there was a um as you said, kinda like a, a cool idea with the thought of um, fear and passion being used. Oh, I
0: did like that. That was interesting. So yeah, the,
1: you wanna speak on that? Well, I'll speak on it a little bit. I actually didn't pick it up during the movie. I think I fell asleep during part of the movie.
0: You was just high.
1: Yeah, that might have been it too. But um, the what was he called? The analyst. This <laughs> what was his name? Neil Patrick. Neil I think Patrick you're Harris? right.
0: Instead of the architect, it's the fucking analyst.
1: Yeah, right.
0: Oh my god. Yeah,
1: the analyst. He was like a psychiatrist for Neo, or I mean, Mr. Anderson. Um, so he was saying, like, instead of keeping you dead or killing you, Neo and Trinity, I I made sure that you stayed alive because I figured out that the Matrix can run on fear and passion more than it can just on regular bodies being hooked up.
0: Yeah, that was one line he said that stood out to me in line with what you're saying. It was something like, the worse you treat people, the harder they will work. So the machines had figured out to actually, like, I don't know, treat people worse in the matrix to keep them from what they want because they will actually put out like, I don't know, I'd have to watch it again. I might be misinterpreting this because, you know, at this point I was kind of starting to check out, but (laughs) it was something to the effect of like, people are actually better batteries when you deny them what they want. So the worse you treat them, the better they serve their purpose. Mm -hmm. And so it was sort of like, you know, a little kind of, uh, I don't know, like a link to this world, how things might be getting worse, you know, and why they might be getting worse if, you know, we imagine this was the matrix.
1: We certainly do spin our wheels when things are uh, making us feel oppressed and, and fearful.
0: Yeah. And uh, the Wachowski brothers turning into the Wachowski sisters, I still would have seen the movie. I'm not like so anti-trans that I'm just like, oh, a trans did it. I'm not going to watch that. I would have given it a chance.
1: But you maybe would have waited until it was free at the library.
0: No, not necessarily. I mean, I'm not saying... You see, my whole thing is I'm not against the trans people. I'm against what the trans people are being exploited for, and I'm against what they get indoctrinated into because then they become the mouthpieces of the very things that are... I feel like exploiting them. So, I tend to find myself pitted against people in the trans camp. But the individuals themselves, the humans involved, I'm not against them. So, I'm not like, "Oh, a trans person couldn't do something creative and and cool." Um, I'd still watch the movie. I'd still have some hopes. But when I watched the movie and it's kind of like, "Man, something's missing." Like there's an element like it's like it was written by a machine or something. Somebody that didn't <laughs> quite understand humanity. Um, and then to find out that both brothers and how weird is that, you know, what a big life changing thing to get a sex change. You know, you would feel like you'd have to be so strongly motivated for two brothers to both get it. That seems really strange to me. And then to find it that out in retrospect, it's like, oh, okay. that kind of makes more sense why shit felt kind of woke and kind of like. I don't know. There was something sort of not grounded there.
1: What was the name of the company that uh, that Neo, Mr. Anderson, worked for? Wasn't it like a video game company? Do you remember? You
0: know damn well what the name of that company is. I'm, I, you, you tell it. Binary. Mm-hmm.
1: So there you go. One more. And, you know, we did have an uh, interesting conversation about, like, masculinity and femininity because Trinity – at the end, like being able to fly, and Neo's just like, "Whoa, I, I I'm not doing this." Are you? It was kind <laughs> of like <laughs> that was my Keanu Reeves.
0: Hey, if you ever really want to see Keanu Reeves at his best, go watch A Walk in the Clouds.
1: Oh, don't do that. That's mean. <laughs> That's worse than our four-hour-long presidential podcast.
0: It really is.
1: Um, but yeah, the uh, the idea that like the masculine and the feminine need to balance, and I was wondering, like the other morning, because Gumby, you were asking me something about, like, why do you think that white women are basically like throwing themselves under the bus time and again lately?
0: Yeah, my question was, of all like groups that feel like they're minority or struggling or oppressed, it seems like most are getting a foothold. You know, they're they're making progress, but there's. And I'm not saying, well, no, no, white women were once a group that felt oppressed, you know, the whole women's suffrage, feminism. What the hell is it about white women that suddenly they're throwing themselves into things that seem to be the most destructive for white women? Like whenever I get in a debate about trans issues, I'm debating with a white woman, not a trans person, a white woman. And these are women who are fighting for men's right to say they're a woman and then get into women's prisons. And there are sexual assaults being done there to get into women's private spaces. You would think women would be the biggest advocates of, we fought hard to have our own sports and our own private spaces. We are going to protect these. But something's happened where the exact opposite has happened. It's like white women are kind of, their own worst enemy. And so I was asking (laughs) Teresa, like, I'm going to put this idea out there. And what are your thoughts as a white woman on this? Like, am I seeing it wrong? If I'm seeing it right, what do you think the causes are? Because I don't see any other group doing this. I don't see, well, there are some members of the black community, I might say, that are like giving into kind of this leftist narrative of black people are forever victims. They're helpless. They need help. They're, uh, you know, just kind of keeping them as dependent voters instead of empowering black people like Fred Hampton did, like Martin Luther King was trying to do. Um, So I don't think that's absent from the other groups, but man, there's something about white women that's really like heading that shit up. Yeah, poor white women.
1: Um, I noticed growing up that things like home economics class were being taken out of high school and even, you know, whatever semblance there was in middle school, like taking care of babies or whatever. They didn't want to teach that anymore. They they needed white women to become white men, um, go to college, get a degree, a high-paying job. And if you were to have a family, you know, maybe just like one kid and like later in life, and now it's, you know, become, I think, even less fashionable. Again, not saying every single white woman, because that would be ridiculous. But a lot of white women now, it's including myself, like, I don't want to have a family.
0: I now, mean, I think I could say like the caveat for everything we say, we're generalizing. Right. To to explore a topic. I, I nothing I say is every single person.
1: And again, keeping that in mind, it's not all women that are nurturing and, and caring and all of that. God knows. But I think there it's more prevalent and when a woman doesn't have a family or doesn't have something as an outlet, then they start to search for a a place to direct that energy. And um, for specifically for white women, because I think still you know generalization, I think black women do still tend to end up in positions where they're either caring for other people, whether it's in like daycares or schools or um, in assisted living homes for the elderly, or they have their own families, it's more prevalent for them to be nurturing and caring for someone. Whereas white women, it's like, well, we just have to adopt an issue and run with it. And that often gets taken way too far. And it's just not a it's not from a place of wisdom. I think it's just from a place of desperation, honestly.
0: Yeah, and I think you, like, you know, you mentioned, like, white guilt. Like, maybe they embody white guilt more. I think you were on to something there. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I guess, uh, let's see, to get back to, oh, my notes are everywhere again. Man, that took a hot minute. So, um, are we done with The Matrix? Did you have any yeah. thoughts you wanted to share on that? Well, One of the things we try to do with our mile marker episodes is kind of like share what we've learned about van life. That's kind of the primary thing we try to do with our mile marker episodes. It's kind of like we're going down the road, of living in a van, rubber tramping. So now we're at mile marker 113. Let's check in about what we've learned. Um, I wanted to share one thing before we move on too fast is uh, we've learned to be careful of electricity. Um, (laughs) One of the things you do is you plug in devices when you're living in a van. It would depend on how you do it. Some people don't need to, I suppose. We do. We look for. We always look for outlets, and uh, we've had some stuff get damaged and stolen. Um, <laughs> and stolen, but that's a whole nother topic. Um, that was <laughs> that was on us. I mean, obviously, if you put shit out on the park, you know, most people would know, like, oh, it could get stolen. But we just kind of uh, got two lacks that one day. But. Electricity. You can actually plug your stuff into like rundown parks and everything. And there's bad electricity. There's shit that will fuck up your devices. Like dirty electricity. Yeah, dirty electricity. So I wanted to put that out there. Yeah. If you,
1: um, I haven't done this yet, but I'm. I was just talking to Gumby about it today. If you can procure a surge protector, especially one that's meant to be for outside, for outdoor use. You can ask for it maybe on a a share page on Facebook or next door or something like that. And uh, that way, if you do find an outlet or two, um, you can plug in your surge protected plugs and maybe that would help save your devices. Because we've had now two laptop batteries out of three, and the the third one isn't doing much at all, have been pretty much fried. And we've had our... um, USB power up little things toasted. So yeah, it sucks. And you can't tell. I mean, it looks like an outlet. It looks good. But you get your device and it's like, why won't this hold a charge? Why is it saying that the battery is no longer good?
0: So we don't really have a solution for that other than just uh, be aware that that could happen if you're (laughs) on the road.
1: And like I said, try the surge protector thing if you can.
0: And one of the things I try to keep in mind whenever we run into electrical problems is if something gets fried and we have to do without it, in the big picture, it's the direction we're kind of trying to go. So even though in the small picture it's a damn inconvenience, we hate it, we're not happy about it, in the big picture, you know, at least consider... Do I really need to replace it? Or is this an opportunity that, like, through providence, through the the gods in heaven, that, <laughs> like, now maybe is the time that the universe is telling me, you don't need that shit.
1: True that. And uh, I'm going to segue and try to talk about some <laughs> skills because that's what we're moving towards, right? Learning skills so we can be free of all this, including the dirty electricity, dirty, nasty stuff. Amen. So I'm... Working on, I sawed a piece of wood off, and I'm going to try and... I think
0: you pronounce it, I've seen a piece of wood, Teresa.
1: uh, I sawed, I, I removed a chunk of wood, and I'm trying to coal burn in and whittle out a ladle. So, we'll see how that
0: works. That's a fun word. Ladle, 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 ladle. <laughs> it's
1: it's like turtle.
0: Th- turtle, 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 turtle.
1: Better than booger paper.
0: But yeah, that ladle looks really good. She brought it like when we were working with the kids yesterday, and it looks like it's about to be a big like Gandalf kind of pipe like she's about to smoke some hobbit weed in that mother. <laughs> and uh yeah, it's cool looking and I'm excited to see it shape up, but a nice piece of cedar. Cedar mm-hmm. is such a beautiful wood. Indeed.
1: What are you working on, Gummy?
0: Well, this month you know, I uh, shared with our listeners that every month I try to focus topics and I try to do two months for each topic and stagger them. So um, that's kind of complicated. I'm not going to get into it. It doesn't matter. But for this month, <laughs> I'm working on drop spindle, which is a way to like one of the things I want to learn down the road next month is knitting and crochet. And I keep trying to learn that and then like not following through and give up. You know, I just move on to something else. Start next month. I'm going to learn this stuff. I am going to learn how to knit and crochet. I'm going to make myself do it. I'm going to push through that. That's it. Drawing the line. Not not walking away again. So, but the thing is, skills that I need to buy stuff for usually don't interest me that much because what I'm after is not the skills. It's the freedom. Mm -hmm. The skills represent the avenue to get that freedom. More independence. Um... You know, the idea would be the ability to travel this whole fucking planet and feel pretty confident that I stand a damn good chance of being able to feed myself, shelter myself, to have ultimate freedom. And, you know, that was kind of an idea formed before I even got into Buddhism and realized, like, wow, that's just the bottom floor of freedom. That is a big topic. Freedom from what is a big question. Mm -hmm. Um, But what was I saying? (laughs) Oh, the drop spindle. So knitting and crochet, the reason why the drop spindle is so exciting for me is you've got the raw material. It might be the cotton plant. It might be sheep wool. It could be even be dog hair. It could even be cat hair. It could be uh, furniture stuffing. The drop spindle is the intermediary step between knitting and crochet and the raw material. It's how you twist it up into yarn. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm working on is making drop spindles and like twisting them. And I feel like I'm making progress. It's kind of a fun activity. There's this uh, technique called draft and park. And I won't spend too much time on it because it might be hard to picture, but you park it by like spinning this drop spindle. It's sort of like a top you hold in the air with the, the raw fabric connected to it, and it spins it, and then you stop it. And so that spin has this tension that's like potential energy, potential spin, and you've got a little pinch on it so it doesn't move so far up. And then you draft it, which you put a pinch higher up in the raw material, let the first pinch go, and whoop, it just like twists mm. the stuff right into yarn. It's like... It can happen really fast, and it's really fun. And you just made your first, what do they call it, skein of... of. I'm not sure what they call it.
1: It's like a ball of yarn. It's pretty sizable, too.
0: Mm-hmm. And the cushion stuffing, thank you again, Teresa, for that idea. Welcome. That's been pr- uh, exclusively what I've been practicing um, with so far. And I'm excited to start brushing Sherlock. Dog hair <laughs> probably is where I'm going next. Um, You go
1: on with that nasty dog And
0: that's going to be so cool to like make a hat I don't think I'll have enough to really make a Sherlock hat And I'm pretty damn sure by the smell of them I don't want to (laughs) But a stripe of Sherlock That might be pretty fucking cool Aww A stripe of Sherlock Yeah, it's a little stripe of Sherlock And another thing I like about spinning is it's a great, you know, it's January So it's a great bad weather indoor activity Indoor, I mean in the van But, uh, you know, those days that I'm not going to get out and, like, be trying to flint nap in a pit or building a shelter or anything like that. I just be in the van and I've got my little bag of material and I can, you know, I was just doing it in the Walmart parking lot when Teresa was in there. Um, Just spending my time spinning. Mm -hmm. So I like that. And Mm -hmm. the other thing I'm working on this month is roadkill, which I have yet to pick up any roadkill.
1: But you did find a nice little uh, bin this morning in a grocery cart.
0: Yeah. We I've, were walking
1: around the parking lot.
0: Hopefully I've got the tools to get started. A big daunting part of this. I've done a little bit with roadkill before, but I never did it enough where I felt like it was second nature, where I could just do it. And that's where I want to get with these skills, where it's integrated into my life. But, uh, you know, this is where I really miss having a pickup truck or something like that because we live in this van. So, of course, we've got to be so careful bringing in something that could have diseases, stink, Uh larva, I mean, all kinds of hair, you know, roadkill can get really messy. So I got to really think about this, but I'm determined to make it work. And even if I don't have roadkill, um, I find bones in the woods. So I'll just try to make bone tools when I find bones, lures, uh, all the little tools you can make with bones, like a chisel, stuff like that. And if we have extra meat, you know, I can start learning how to smoke meat, even without the roadkill, how to preserve it. Mm -hmm. So, I'm trying to find ways to make these skills work. And that's something I've learned that is so important because it's easy to get discouraged. It's so easy to feel like if I can't get to point C, you know, out there feeding myself completely, it's not worth it. But if that's the wrong question. The right question is, what can I do to get a little closer? Because as close to that freedom as you can get is where you want to be. That's where you got the best perspective on pretty much everything I'd say with that independence
1: oh i'll I'll add something else um that I was working on. It's not uh it doesn't seem like the type of activities that Gumby's talking about, but it's that intermediate step. So I have tried um unsuccessfully to grow vegetables. I forage foraging is pretty good. The growing a garden is not good. And so I thought maybe if I'm spending money anyway to bring food in, because the dumpster diving has been pretty thin the last couple months we've been back, um, I'm going to contact, I'm going to ask for and contact as many of these local farms as possible um, that offer produce. And if I'm going to spend money, I might as well give it to them. And that also gets me out, hopefully, of um, paying tax, like any sort of sales tax goes to the government. Fuck them.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, a few, uh, I'm still singing the praises of roadkill. Oh, yeah. So, one of the reasons why roadkill is so important to me is the rewards are huge. If I can start processing roadkill, I can make leather. So, we can pretty much make all of our clothes out of. Roadkill, if you get good at this skill.
1: Lord, Lord.
0: You can use leather for endless things seat cushions, uh, the outside of a shelter if you needed to. I mean, leather is a huge resource to tap into. Um, The meat, of course, we can smoke the meat and preserve it, and protein is really hard to come by. So, knowing how to process that. Um, And as we've been learning, you know, people just think it's about catching an animal. Some animals don't have much fat. When you're really in a survival situation, fat is something to be aware of. It's almost a separate thing. Mm -hmm. Meat without fat is only good for like a narrow thing your body needs. You got to know like how to process fat, what animals have the fat. So getting to know that I'm excited about. Um, The fat itself apparently can preserve meat. You can fill up a jar with fat apparently, put meat in it, and it can preserve for like two years from what I've heard. And when you take it out, it's like bacon grease. Supposedly, it tastes really good for <laughs> having marinated in that fat. Um, bone tools, as I mentioned, sinew, you know, all the the tendons that make really good. They're, they're uh, often used as bowstring because they're so good. Um, I think rendered fat can even be used for like torches and stuff. I think it can be flammable. So lighting, hide glue, another method of making glue, um, spinning the fur because At the same time I'm learning how to drop spindle, I might be able to make yarn. Like, I could have a deer fur hat. I could have rabbit fur underwear. And if you're not familiar with rabbit fur, that (laughs) shit would be sweet. (laughs) Um, Yes. Yeah. And, of course, the art, there's scrimshaw, which I don't really know anything about. I just know it exists. But there's some way of using, I think, crushed up charcoal and, like, making... Like dark patterns that are really cool looking Like they do it on whalebone. I think this came from like the northwest mainly If
1: you find a roadkill whale You let me know
0: Fuck the whale I want to find the person who hit it (laughs) What were you driving? What was that like? You've got a story to tell
1: You'd probably feel really bad if you hit
0: a whale Yeah And you'd have to be really high on something Because if you can't see a whale in the road (laughs) You should not be driving (laughs) true
1: that. And of course, we've been watching Alone. Is that where you wanted to go next? We can. We've been watching Alone season six, and these folks are having a really difficult time. Um, Tim from Maine, like Gumby was saying something about the Alone seasons that we had watched up until that point, and one of our listeners, uh, Tim from Maine, said something like they they figured that problem out, or they fixed, resolved the problem of not having enough food. Addressed it, maybe. In season six, and uh, man, spoiler alerts for season six of Alone, but boy, those people are dropping, getting sick.
0: Yeah, one of the things that moved me about the last two episodes, I think, I think it was the last two episodes, the last not not episodes, but seasons. The last season was the people coming back, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Uh, Dave was really expressing grief about hunting. And he was having a problem with that for a while. He was saying like, man, you know, I'm trying to balance this. Like I could push the button and leave, but you know, I'm killing things. I'm hurting things. And it was starting to weigh on him.
1: He was trying to also find like one large animal. So he didn't have to kill like 20 small
0: animals. Yeah. So I appreciated like that being shared, you know, him addressing that because It does. Like, it can catch up with you, I think, if you're in a good mindset and acknowledge what you're doing when you kill stuff. And then this season, what's his name? Ray. Ray. Um, He had this one squirrel that was chattering with him, you know, like would kind of visit him, his neighbor. He'd get pretty close to him. And uh, Ray, a few weeks in, decided, I've got to hunt. I've got to get whatever food I can and set up a trap. And the squirrel managed to thwart the trap And then Ray hunted him down and you could hear like the squirrel, you know, making its alarm call, uh, screaming, whatever, whatever a squirrel does as he killed it. And that got to Ray. And I really appreciated that being shared because Ray's like, man, I, I betrayed its trust. That Mm -hmm. was my only neighbor out here. And it got me thinking like the last squirrel I ever hunted, I hunted with a pellet gun and it was in a tree and I shot it. And I could see I hit it. I saw it move. And then I shot it again. And it slowly died, but it held on to that branch. Like mm. I had to shoot it four or five times. And it just held on to that branch as I shot it.
1: Oh.
0: And that was like there are certain kills when you go hunting or trapping that break through, you know, kind of getting used to it. And it's like you see it fresh again and that squirrel wanted its life so bad. That whole idea about like sometimes things give you their life, I think sometimes things do give you their life. Yeah. But from this culture, we don't have any ceremonies for it. We don't have any way to really give thanks, I think, appropriately or to ask for the life. We don't have any holy men that act as intermediaries for our tribe, for the spirits of these animals. So we go in there, and I feel like we kind of pile up a karmic debt. It's a hard thing. That squirrel, man... It did not give its life. It was so clear. Even when it fell out, I could see it was scared. I could see it wanted to be in that tree that it was holding on to with everything mm. it had before it it just succumbed. And I haven't been able to hunt anything since. I'm not saying I can't hunt. I think I still can, but I just didn't want to after that. Like, and it's it's something we have to figure out because. What's the alternative? Somebody else kills it, probably Mm -hmm. in a much less cold way. The people that feel that are the very people who should be the hunters. If we were in a tribe, I would say, oh, you fucking hate hunting, you hate killing, you should be the tribe's hunter. Mm. You're going to be the quickest person to know how to fucking do it right. So that, yeah, that moved me watching alone, and it brought back some stuff because... Like I said, I'm trying to get into skills more Push myself back into it And hunting somewhere down that road yeah. And it is a a hard thing to struggle with And if you don't feel the struggle It's not that the struggle isn't there you got I was going to say something wrong with you But it sounds too harsh Because sometimes you have something wrong with you for a while You just haven't gotten there yet mm. I've had something wrong with me where I didn't feel it So, yeah That's what I have to say about that
1: Well, I just saw an article a couple days ago that was talking about um, (laughs) genetically modified organisms, GMOs. Remember how we were all like told about GMOs and you have non-GMO food, which is just like food. Oh, the label? Yeah. And now they're going to change that GMO because that's just too bad of a connotation. Like people know that's yucky. You shouldn't eat that. And of course, lobbyists got this done. They pushed it through. So now it's going to say bioengineered and there will often be a QR code that you can scan with your smartphone because everyone has a smartphone and be able to understand whatever gobbledygook they put in that to tell you what this food is made of or not made of. And, uh, There was a a little tagline in the article that said, like, bioengineered food uh, is also food that's enhanced with science, and we all know how important it is to follow the science. And what,
0: I mean, (laughs) it just seems even pointless to say it because it's so obvious, but what fucking bullshit? (laughs) Like, the reason why you would want that on a label is because it matters to you. If this is GMO, it matters to you. That's why people wanted it on the label. Um well, now maybe everybody you wanna maybe uh, some people want to support it, but I say a lot of people don't want to eat that shit. Go ahead.
1: I was gonna say a lot of people are now genetically modified organisms themselves.
0: Well, increasing number, yeah <laughs> 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 um, uh. But yeah, so this label, if they replace it with a little phone thing, all that does is cut out more people who want that information because if you have to have another extra step,
1: yeah, you're not gonna you're do busy. It
0: you're not going to do it. You're just going to skip it. So it hides it. And their reasoning is, well, everybody's got a smartphone. Well, for one thing, everybody doesn't have a smartphone. (laughs) For another thing, that extra step, it just makes it that much harder to get information about what you're eating. Why the fuck would anybody support less information about what you're eating? It doesn't matter what you think about GMOs. Don't you want to know what the fuck you're eating? Who would not want to know what they're eating? So to make that less easy, Is ridiculous. There's no logic for it other than serving the corporations who want to hide it. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah.
1: And the other article I saw that was just a few stories down from that one was that um, there has been a large grant of money from the National Science Foundation to researchers who will now be taking foods such as lettuce and spinach and turning them into vehicles for MRNA vaccination. Yet another reason I'm looking for local farms that have real food.
0: You remember that uh, commercial or whatever at the beginning of the movie? Yeah, we
1: paid for a movie. And then it's saying like, talking about the behind the scenes of Ghostbusters Afterlife. And after about 15 seconds, it says to watch more of this or to watch the rest of it, because they stopped it like mid-sentence in the characters uh, that was on the screen, you have to scan a QR code and watch it on your phone.
0: Man, you watch that that thing... You know how they show that big box and it's got what they call a QR code? Yeah. You watch and see if that motherfucker doesn't turn out to be some kind of hieroglyph from some ancient fucking satanic rights culture or something that they're flashing at us. All
1: right, (laughs) (laughs) QAnon.
0: I mean, I'm only half joking. There's so much shit happening now that like... I don't know, no, man.
1: I question if you're gonna if you're gonna bring up the q r code, I question what's going on with those really super gross videos. Gumby showed me one the other day of a woman having like this leech like worm thing that was like five inches long coming out of the tip of her thumb.
0: that was awesome,
1: that's gross, and it was gross. Why is that video so like it just goes on and on and you're just absolutely fascinated. You cannot tear your eyes away from watching this.
0: All right. Can I say something? Yeah. Teresa, can I get a word in? Can I say something? But what
1: can I was going to say is watch no. in the future <laughs> how this type of video, they'll, it'll come out that it has been used to hypnotize people.
0: All right. I'm going to say something. Can I say something? One word. Yes. All right. So, and I'm going to let you respond to it because I have a thought on this. We've already debated about this. So one of the things I'm thinking... Is you're tying this into like the reason why people watch this is there's a subliminal thing happening, some message, some unseen reason why people watch it and it's not the the video itself. Is that correct? No. I
1: think the video it, they know that video is something that people are going to be interested in and so you because think people of are that
0: naturally interested in the content of the video.
1: Yes, but what they do is because you're so fascinated and you're like so focused on the video, they use that video, that video for some sort of subliminal message.
0: But why? What makes you think that in particular? I mean, I could I could I could like go along with you with like almost everything on TV has a subliminal message because they know it can be done, so why wouldn't they do it? But why that in particular. What what evidence? What what <laughs> thing have you seen that makes you think like, "Oh, wait, weird people do weird shit after like watching this video or something."
1: Three letters, C I A, reason because they can.
0: But why that? Are you saying like I mean, you seem to be fixated on the gross videos, which I think people and I think you agreed with, already want to watch gross stuff yeah. for whatever wiring we have. But you're saying that this you think has an extra thing in it? Or are you just saying all videos? It's got nothing to do with the gross thing. Because the CIA, I agree. Because they can, I agree. But why that? Why the gross videos? If they can, why not every single thing that basically like flashes and has lights in front of you?
1: Well, I mean, I think that's possible. And I, I didn't mean to get off on this tangent, so I haven't really formulated a thought here, but I think it's possible that they're well, doing formulate
0: it. formulate a fresh one. <laughs> I know.
1: I know. Well, they're in short supply. Our supply chain has been broken by many different things. Anyway, my my thought was the gross videos in particular, they have like this just hypnotic quality of like, what happens? What happens? Oh, and it has that thing that you were reading about in the, uh, the, the mind brain book that you were reading, how you, you feel like you're, um, what is it? Empathetic.
0: Okay. All right. I can. All right. So, yeah, I agree with that. If you're watching one of those gross things, there's those, like, I forget what they're called, but it's something like mirror neuron cells.
1: And they've studied this probably, and they're probably aware that when those are triggered, you are more easily, like, or deeply susceptible.
0: All right, I'll entertain that as a possibility, because I do think... I mean, I've seen it myself. If a commercial's playing, I have no problem flipping through that. If I suddenly happen upon a video where a worm is being pulled out, pulled out of a woman's thumb, I can't turn away from that. <laughs> I have to see it. So I, I would go with, along with that because there is something else in your brain that happens. And I think it's pretty common that there's a fascination with like gross. And there's just,
1: there's been a fascination with all sorts of groups in the government, in the military, um, to see what happens in your brain, like all those uh, spots in your brain that light up for certain reasons, for different reasons, and like how they can use that to get done whatever they want.
0: Hi, Dan. I can see that.
1: So I don't know. Writers, list, like writers, listeners, write in and tell me. Uh, what do you think about that?
0: And I will just say I have no reason to think that there are anything special about that they're putting in those videos mm-hmm. aside from what you said, that if the CIA knows they can use media, uh, that they'd probably use it in all spectrums. But mm-hmm. I have no extra thing to think like, Ooh, that's the one. Like, that's why people are watching all the gross things or anything like that.
1: But the QR codes came from some ancient society. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> okay. i will just making sure we're being logical here. Oh, wait. This is escaping society. This isn't any sort of logical show. <laughs> no,
0: no, no. I, I was putting that forward as a hypothetical, Teresa, so don't fact check me on that. Oh, it's a hypothetical. That's true. You can't true. fact check a hypothetical. Fact check true. I said, true. what if? Fact check true. Huh?
1: Fact check true.
0: That's true. Yes.
1: All right. What else you got, babe?
0: All right. So I've got so much stuff I want to talk about this week, and I'm realizing, like, we apparently had a lot of stuff to talk about the few things that we were talking about. So I don't want to talk about them all. (laughs) But while we're on the subject of survival, survival, I think, has been—I know it's been really important to me lately about, I don't know, late autumn. I kind of, like, I got my focus on, like, man, I'm going to push forward with this stuff. I think the one thing that's been missing from my time in the van, um, my hobo time, is feeling a little bit pointless. It kind of haunts you. And for a while, it was like, well, I felt pointless in the trailer too. So I just kind of, my my, <laughs> my mindset was I'm stuck with the pointlessness. Yeah. That's life. You feel pointless. And only recently have I realized that there are other choices, which is weird. Isn't life weird like that? Like you, you think you're learning something, you're halfway through your 40s, and then it's like something so basic like, oh, I can wipe my ass and not get shit on my underwear. <laughs> I did not. I already figured that out, by the way, for the record. <laughs> but something so basic. But your friend... Huh,
1: But your friend didn't. That's what who you, friend. That's who you were talking about, the one that didn't.
0: Oh, yeah <laughs> <Darisa>. <laughs> Oh, and we won't mention her name on the air. Oh. but it's a very close friend. Um, rhymes with Deresa. <laughs> <laughs> um, and one of the things about survival skills that I really like is um the security. Like when you get into bushcraft and survival skills, For instance, right now, I am so into survival skills, wanting to spend my time doing these things that everything else that's not feels a little bit like an interruption. Um, Even the, well, anyway. Even the what? I was going to say something, but I'll let you talk. The work? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's the main thing. The thing, I think the more it drives me out, like we have to, you know, drive across town, um, be at the right place, you know, things that really... Uh, Mess with your schedule, feel like an interruption when you really want to, you're throwing yourself into something. So to me, it's kind of a win win situation because it's an opportunity to make money and money's still useful. So when we have a gig, an opportunity, then I've got that. But I feel like a lot of people have to fear when that opportunity is gone. They're so scared of losing that opportunity, they won't do gigs. They do full time work even if they don't want it Mm -hmm. because that feels like more security. That's a boss that says, Yeah, you show up every day. You give me that much of your life and uh, I will keep you hired. Yeah. Of course, sometimes they still don't, but (laughs) that's kind of the the feeling of that agreement. But I don't have to worry. I remember a time in my life when I did have to worry about money and I feel like time has become as valuable to me as money. So if there's a chance to make money a little bit, yeah, I'm going to be glad I did. If the money falls through, now I've got more time back, and I can throw myself into skills, and I'm glad of that.
1: That's a good way to look at it.
0: So that's the kind of security the skills give me. Yeah, it's like – and not working, you know, it's it's an opportunity to practice, learn, and test your skills, so.
1: hmm And what you going to do with all that cash, all that cash – gonna put it in a stash i was looking up ways
0: i know you ain't about to talk about what i'm about to do with my money
1: no no i was saying just in general like has anyone out there ever made a cash c-a-c-h-e question mark because i've been looking up different methods and um for what some of the things that i was going to squirrel away i'm looking at a uh, a pvc pipe setup that Like the PVC pipe has um, a screw end, like you can screw in an end and the other end you can glue. And I've even heard uh, that you can get a gasket for the screw end so that it's less likely to leak when you, you know, presumably you're burying it or hiding it somewhere. Um, So that to me is pretty interesting because as things um, potentially break down with the supply chain and all, not trying to create a panic, I'm just saying for myself, I'd like to squirrel the away some... The supply
0: chain is breaking down.
1: <laughs> I'd like to squirrel you away panic. some things, speaking of squirrels. Um, but, yeah, also, like, caches of food that you've either, you know, preserved or, you know, smoked in some way to, to keep for later. That's a kind of a different um,
0: cache, too.
1: So, yeah, I'd like to know if anybody has created one and how you did it.
0: Mm-hmm. And are, is that all you want to say about caches? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, when I'm thinking about these survival skills, like, I've been thinking, <laughs> what?
1: It's funny. You just keep going back to that. It's important.
0: Well, yeah, I got a lot to say about survival skills. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but you're done with the cash. Mm-hmm. All right. So I'm going to go back to survival skills. Mm-hmm. So I've been thinking a lot about rewilding, you know, like kind of what the survival skills are about. And um, I've kind of thought of like, you know, Teresa and I talk about, we get kind of despondent sometimes talking about, man, like the way society's going, the news, the I don't know what to believe, what the vaccine mandates, like everything in one way of looking at it is getting so dark. It's so depressing. It's so scary. And um, one of the scariest parts of it is I feel like it's so often that you come to kind of this place where you're like, I don't know what the right decision is. I don't know what to believe. Everything feels like a gamble. I might like... put my life into the hands of this road, only discovered a ways down that it was the wrong road. It's just nothing seems secure or set right now. So what I've been going back to is that I'm giving my life to the idea of rewilding. And I think it's got three basic parts. As of now, you know, this is a work in progress. I like making my lists And from easiest to hardest, I think one of the biggest parts of rewilding is being outside. This is something you can count on. You don't know what politician is lying to you. You don't know if the media is trying to lead you somewhere. You don't even know if you look at a screen that has nothing to do with anything, if something's not coming through subliminally on that screen. But that fucking sunshine, you can trust that. It's good for you. That fresh air, get out there. That's good for you. Just being outside, even if you're on your computer, can you take your computer outside? I think being outside itself is a huge part of rewilding and it's so important. Very it true. makes it, it, it doesn't solve your problem. I hear people, I hate these posts that are like, and these things that people say that are like, oh, nature is healing. If you just go out in nature, like, you know, they make it sound like a magical pill. They forget that the settlers were outside all <laughs> the time. <laughs> Being outside doesn't fix stuff, but I will say this, just like planting a seed doesn't guarantee a tomato, there are certain places you want to put that seed that will encourage it to grow. I think being outside is sort of being in the right soil. It doesn't grow the plant by itself, Hmm. but it gives you a good foundation because being outside, it's so much easier to see that you're part of something bigger, that your body is like healthier and stronger than maybe you've been led to believe. And the second part, I think, of rewilding, well, before I move on, do you have anything to say to that? Oh, I like it. And the second part, again, progressively hard, is contemplation of some kind. You have got to study yourself. Socrates said an unexamined life is not worth living, and I agree with that. You are crazy. You have been polluted by the environment around you. It's this so society, true. you have grown up in the society by, and, and taught exclusively by people who have also grown up in this society. This society is so insane, it is destroying itself. It's not that something outside is happening to destroy us. We are destroying ourselves. I think we forget how completely fucking batshit crazy that is sometimes. <laughs> and let's not forget why we do it. Is it to eat? Is it to live? Is it to be happy? No, it is exclusively for shit that we all, every single rat, bastard, goddamn one of us know we don't need. We all know for a fact people did find the human race expanded and flourished without electricity, without cars, etc., etc. So that all said... I think we need at this point, not every culture needed this, but we need it, some form of contemplation. I like meditation. I like following my breath, but some way to get your mind quiet and to look objectively at your own thoughts. If you are not doing something to study your own thoughts, sometimes it can be tripping shrooms. I don't think that exclusively would work, but that could be a part of it. It could be taking a long walk. There's all kinds of contemplation, but we need the silence. If you're not studying yourself, if you're always looking at the outside as the problem, Hmm. you ain't got it. And the third step, I think of rewilding. You're outside, you're meditating sometimes, you're studying yourself, you're noticing what thoughts, how you're the patterns of your own mind that have been taught to you, the things you can believe, the things you can't believe, the things you need to question. I think the third step is skills. Because if at the end of the day, you still are relying on people that you know you can't trust and that you know are doing hugely harmful things to enable you to live the way you do, you're still stuck. There's not enough time outside and there's not enough meditating that's going to unstick mm-hmm. you from that. You've got to gain some independence. Uh, even the the monks of old times, you know, the meditators, the hermits, they seem to have some survival skills because they go out and live by themselves in the woods so often. Hermits, monks, they left. They lived so simply. They had skills. Um, so I think those three things are helping me like, you know, when we get in that angsty kind of mood, like, man, I don't know what to think. I don't know what to believe. Am I leaning too far right? Am I leaning too far left? Like, is everybody just lying to me? I don't know what their agenda is. I don't know who's behind this. It's so fucking complicated. Because we've gone down the rabbit hole, studying the CIA shit and everything. It came with a price. There's some stuff that you don't necessarily want to learn. I feel like you need to learn it at this point because the world's gotten where it is. But it's not going to make your life better. And some of the shit I've learned, I would put in that category. I don't trust shit anymore. So what rewilding is about for me sometimes is what can I trust? Mm. And those three things I can trust. I can trust practicing taking a step back and watching my own crazy-ass self and studying that. I can trust being outside. Most of the things out there I can trust. And I can trust my skills. They're going to show me if I'm honest, if they work or they don't work. A bow drill doesn't lie. You Mm. either fucking did it right and got a fire or you didn't, and you're sitting there and you're cold. So that's what I can trust.
1: Fact check. True.
0: What you got, Teresa?
1: Yeah, <laughs> um, the only other thing I had doesn't... I mean, it's, it's just bumpy transitions, as they say.
0: Segway here.
1: Segway. Insert segway here. Um, the final thing I had was just a follow-up to something I had mentioned a couple episodes ago. Um, there's this author, I believe her name's Alice Friedman, and she uh, recently wrote a book about... Like we are well past peak oil and what's happening now is a scramble to just keep the uh, fossil fuel based society that we have going until technology figures out what happens next. And society in China has figured something out. I didn't write down all the details, but it's probably in your headlines, news headlines on your phone device, um, just like it is for mine. So somewhere in China there was this crazy, you know, mad scientist group, and oh, they,
0: China's full of them.
1: Yeah, and they like the human centipede. Didn't that wasn't that? Oh, was it Doctor Hung? Uh,
0: uh, <laughs> no, no, no. Cream of some young guy.
1: You're gross. Anyway, <laughs> there was uh, this new ability to take like two different chemicals or I don't know elements and heat them. Don't ask me how they're creating that heat, but they've created a fusion that heats up to a really, really hot temperature. Um, so that might replace fossil fuels for making things that our society based on, like steel and concrete. Brought to you by science. Hmm.
0: What are the implications of that?
1: Um. Well, like I said, that book that Alice Friedman wrote, um, as far as I'm, I know, I haven't read it myself, but I was listening to her interview and she was saying like, right now, the, the powers that be, if you will, um, they need the next step after fossil fuels. So they're just trying to draw out fossil fuels as much as they can until they figure it out. And now they've figured something out. Like I said, I don't know how they create that heat to heat up the two elements that are then uh, experiencing fusion to create a high heat. But maybe that's another way, like another baby step to using less fossil fuel so it extends it out so that technology can uh, find the answer.
0: Hmm.
1: That's all I got.
0: Well, you know what? I saw a really cool meme on Facebook. <laughs> and uh, I wanted to share this. I want to give credit to whoever wrote it, but I didn't see who wrote it. Like when I look back, um, I know who shared it with me, and I don't know that, I don't even know if they listened to our podcast. But uh, William from Oklahoma, if you uh, are listening to our podcast, thanks for sharing this. I'm a big Abbott Costello fan. Like I made Teresa watch all those movies pretty early on when we still had the trailer. <laughs> like all, I had the whole collection. And uh, so this is. Abbott and Costello's who's been vaccinated, like who's on first. (laughs) So uh, playing the part of Lou Costello will be Teresa. Mm. And playing the part of Bud Abbott will be Gumby. Now, let's hear your best uh, Costello, Teresa. Why not? (laughs) Oh, you've got an advantage being from Ohio.
1: (laughs) We all sound like Costello. (laughs) I order.
0: (laughs) And Bud Abbott. Uh, What do you know? I'm just going to be Jess Smith. Yeah. All right. You ready? Yes. You can't come in here. Why not? Well, because you're unvaccinated. But I'm not sick. It doesn't matter.
1: Well, why does that guy get to go in?
0: Because he's vaccinated.
1: But he's sick!
0: It's all right. Everyone in here is vaccinated.
1: Wait a minute. Are you saying everyone in there is vaccinated? Yes. So then why can't I go in there if everyone's vaccinated?
0: Because you'll make them
1: sick. <laughs> How will I make them sick if I'm not sick and they're vaccinated?
0: (laughs) Uh, Intermission. Because you're unvaccinated. But they're vaccinated! But they can still get sick. So what the heck does the vaccine do? It vaccinates. (laughs) So vaccinated people can't spread COVID? Oh, no. They can spread COVID just as easily as an unvaccinated person.
1: I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. Look, I'm not sick. Okay. And the guy you let in is sick. That's right. And everybody in there can still get sick, even though they're vaccinated? Certainly. So why can't I go in again?
0: Because you're unvaccinated.
1: I'm not asking who's vaccinated or not.
0: I'm just telling you how it is.
1: Never mind. I'll just put on my mask. That's fine. Now can I go in?
0: Absolutely not. But I have a mask. doesn't matter.
1: I was able to come in here yesterday with a mask. I know. So why can't I come in today with a mask? If you say because I'm unvaccinated again, I'll break your arm. Take it easy, buddy. So the mask is no good anymore. No, it's still good. But I can't come in? Correct. Why not?
0: Because you're unvaccinated.
1: But the mask prevents the germs from getting out.
0: Yes, but people can still catch your germs. But they're all vaccinated. Yes, but they can still get sick. But I'm not sick. You can still get them sick. So the masks don't work. Masks work quite well. So
1: how in the heck can I get vaccinated people sick if I'm not sick and masks work?
0: Third base. <laughs> and I just had to share that, man. I love that. It, doesn't that kind of sum up the whole fucking thing? Oh
1: man.
0: I've been I've been struggling with that logic spiral since this shit started.
1: <laughs> so uh, in conclusion, after seven. 70- oh wait, wait,
0: wait. Ugh. I got a couple more things. Oh boy. Unless you're in a hurry. Are you in a hurry? Why not? <laughs> All right. I wanted to just mention this quote because I've been thinking about this a lot during the week. Because Teresa brought up North Carolina's um, motto, which is.
1: Uh, I think I don't. I don't really know if this is right, but it's like. Essequam or Verde or something.
0: That sounded like the redneckiest pronunciation possible, but I think that sounded close. Essequam That's a Essequam from North Carolina for all you Yankees out (laughs) there. And that
1: means to be rather than to seem.
0: Yeah. So I've been thinking a lot about that, you know, like representing. I have actually been in a lot of uh, Facebook debates lately with kind of people from the anarcho-primitivist camp that lean more towards like, we got to fight civilization. We've got to stop it. And my premise is nobody's stopping it because nobody knows how. <laughs> so why don't we work on freeing ourselves from it, escaping society? Um, if we free ourselves from it, possibly after that we can fight. But until we free ourselves from it, if we're honest with ourselves, we are funding, empowering, participating in it. We are more helpful to it than non-helpful. And if our reason for not freeing ourselves from the thing we're calling evil, staying dependent on the thing we're calling evil, using electricity we know to be unnecessary, as I said before, while we say there's no way to produce electricity that's not evil, it brings up some weird questions, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. And if our, our reasoning is that it's too hard to give up society, you're fucking telling people to take down the entire goddamn government. And to then destroy a society you are utterly dependent on. And you're telling me it's too hard (laughs) to forage, to learn how to make a lamp, to maybe just turn the light off like when it's dark or no, you wouldn't need a light when it's light, but you know what I'm saying. (laughs) So anyway, that whole thing. And uh, it it reminded me of this quote by uh, Kurt Vonnegut in a roundabout way. We are what we pretend to be, so we must be careful about what we pretend to be.
1: Mm-hmm. What do you think
0: of that, Teresa?
1: Well, it reminds me of uh, what you told me a while ago. It's like if you're gonna if you're gonna pretend to be anything, pretend to be something great, or like at least pretend like you know what you're doing.
0: Yeah, you liked that when I told it. I felt like a stroke of lightning had struck when I thought of that myself. Boom. Yeah, that was one of those movies. Uh, movies. That was one of those moments. I was like, damn Gumby, it sure is good hanging out with you. <laughs> Man, that motherfucker says some shit.
1: He so really
0: does. I was like, if you got to if everything you're doing is you're pretending to be something, why not pretend to be something awesome? So that actually helps me out a lot too. I probably read it somewhere and I just forgot. So now I think I thought of it. <laughs> but yeah, I think that is so true. Because think about, you know, like it's so subtle. I like that because you might pretend to be kind of gruff. You've learned that you get through life by being a little prickly, gruff. But underneath you're a softy. But by the end of your life, if you spent your whole life pretending to be gruff, it doesn't matter what's underneath. That's what you are. Mm. You died a gruff man. Mm. And, you know, the same thing with just our whole lives. You know, when you think about your choices, I don't know, that kind of feels like that to me. Every choice I have, it's like, which one am I going to pretend to be? Right. Because it would be easy if one path was like, oh, that's me. And the other path is like, that's not me. Then I'd just keep choosing the paths that are me. But every path is like, I don't know. It's like, which one am I going to pretend to be?
1: And where's the line between between pretending and exactly what you are, which is what you were saying.
0: Yeah. I like and that. that helped me out a lot because I pretended to be, when I was a kid, a big part of my life. I pretended to be meek. I pretended to be embarrassed. I pretended to be weak. I pretended to be a follower. Um, I pretended to be a lot of things that didn't serve me. And I feel like a lot of the second half of my life, and this is one of the reasons I call myself Gumby, because this epiphany for me came around the time that I got the name Gumby. And it was like, I can pretend to be something else. I can pretend to be a guy that doesn't give a shit if he gets called Gumby. I can pretend that Gumby fucking actually succeeds at survival skills. I can pretend that Gumby doesn't just talk about being a hobo. He fucking goes out there and throws his thumb out. Boom. And I'm still like, that has been a huge realization for me. I'm not saying like, oh, you know, it's kind of fixed everything or whatever, but. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I know what you're saying. That's deep. It's deep. That's why I wanted to share that. I thought it was deep and it might be helpful to our listeners. And I know you're like trying to get out the door and get up back to all that hobo stuff there, Teresa, but (laughs) I saw on a Facebook page for van lifers, a question that got brought up and I wanted us to have a chance to address it. Somebody asked. How do people living in vehicles, whether it's a van or a car, stay warm? Hmm. And so it's kind of, since this is a check-in episode, mile marker, I thought we should share what we know about that or think we know.
1: Well, I'll go ahead and do the one that I know best and most, and it works the best and the most, sleeping bags. You get yourself a sleeping bag. It doesn't have to be an expensive one. Hell, sometimes they give them away for free to poor people. You get a sleeping bag, and that thing will work in a car, van, truck, or even in
0: your house. Yeah, it definitely is one of the best pieces of uh, gear you could have.
1: If you're going to still be in this society at all, get yourself a sleeping bag. Do yourself a favor.
0: And I'd say, in addition to that, um, enough bedding. Because is one of those people that needs to be covered up to sleep. So she's got to at least have a sheet, even in the summer and in the, in the hot nights. I can sleep on the hottest nights without any bedding, <laughs> without any sheet. But uh, it ranges from that for me to on the coldest nights to be really comfortable and snug. I need a sheet inside the zipped up sleeping bag. And I've, I've got one of those sleeping bags that aren't a mummy bag. I really like that. I love being able to move around, stuff my clothes in there.
1: Just the old style rectangular sleeping bag.
0: Yeah. And I got it from a really, really free market, and it smells like mm, college girl. At least it did when I first got it.
1: Yeah, after you— It doesn't smell like that anymore. It smells
0: like taco night now. (laughs) I don't know what that's about. I have an idea. And, uh, yeah, so, damn. What was that? Oh, the bedding. So, on the coldest nights, I find a sheet with a wool blanket on top inside the zipped-up rectangular sleeping bag. is the most bedding I've ever needed. Mm -hmm. So, we carry that, you know, not just sleeping bags, but some extra bedding. Um. I'd say I'd add to that finding indoor heated places. So when you're around a place you're familiar with, know what places on a really cold day that you can get away with hanging inside, and a place you're comfortable with. You might not want to hang out in a restaurant forever, but there might be a good library, a little quiet library. It could be a coffee shop. Yeah. Um, sometimes like we've got parks that have heated bathrooms. So we could get away with just hanging out there for a while.
1: I mean, that one bathroom is very, very hot. It's like a sauna.
0: Well, let me tell you, on a cold, rainy day, when I go to take a dump in that bathroom, I make sure everything is out. I take extra time because it's so pleasant to sit in there. And often there's a little extra toilet paper roll, so we stuff that into our pocket and stockpile. Wow. So you've got that.
1: Um, I also have really enjoyed the fires that we've had on these colder nights and just feeling as if I'm inside. I, I forget I'm outside. The fire's so nice.
0: Yeah, a really good fire. So any places that you can have a fire. And I'd add, be pay attention to the way you dress. Um, layering is something that's really well known if it's a cold day. Um, put on some extra layers. Even thin stuff, if it's layered, can sometimes trap more heat than just a couple of thick things. Um, and wool and fleece, man, wow, I've got like my only outside garments other than just shirts, you know, kind of first layer stuff is a fleece hoodie and a wool shirt. And that is so effective that that's almost always warm enough for that part of my body. Um, fleece and wool are magical.
1: Yeah, I want to upgrade my my choices and clothing here.
0: Mm-hmm. You got anything else to say, warm? Any tips you want to share, Teresa?
1: Oh, well, we've mentioned... Um, if you have the ability and you drink coffee, um, if you have the ability to heat it up the night before and a thermos, um, we made a plastic bag mat, which Gumby has a video of on our YouTube channel. um, And you can use that as an insulator to just wrap it around the thermos or pile clothes or extra bedding or something on top of the thermos. And it stays nice and hot until morning.
0: Yeah, and it's really psychologically like, It's so nice to wake up in the van, turn it on, crank up the heat, and then like not have to get out in the cold and drink your coffee. So it really improves quality of life. And uh, curtains. We've got curtains up in the van and I'm not sure how much heat it actually traps, but again, psychologically it feels cozier. And I think it does. You know, you feel the window and it's super cold. Yeah. So I think it probably does help out a little bit, but we close all the curtains on cold nights. And we
1: don't use the reflective stuff that a lot of people that are living in their vehicles use to insulate. But I mean, if you're, you know, you've got your own vehicle and you want to use that stuff, I guess it's a, it's something, it's an additional layer.
0: Yeah, I think it probably works pretty good, but it's a dead giveaway. Like, oh, yeah. But then we again, know you're
1: living in your van.
0: Then again, a van with closed curtains might be a dead giveaway, too.
1: Only sometimes.
0: What else you got, Teresa? How else do you stay warm?
1: Um, I <laughs> Wow, these choices that you wrote down are interesting. Well, I've been wearing, yesterday when we were outside with the kids, I wore your hat. Um, so keeping your head warm and your ears, I've got a little ear warming band on. Um, today and just making sure that your feet and your head stay warm goes a long ways to keeping you
0: healthy. Mm -hmm. And uh, cranking, as I mentioned, like we found with the van, we need to, we should crank it like twice a day to keep the battery charged. Um, Sometimes it'll like or just die altogether if we don't do that. So it's actually good for the van and good for us To heat it up in the morning when we first wake up. So we've got a warm van, kind of a warm room to get dressed in and hang out in until we get out and the sun shines more up and out in the field if it's going to come out. And in the evenings, we get in the van in the evening after we've been around the fire if we can or out in the cold and heat up the van and we get to go to sleep in a really warm space. So in the winter, heating the van up those two times. And uh, we wait until it's nice and toasty and then cut it off and just, I'd say, I know psychologically it helps me a lot because I look forward to that. It's like, oh man, you know, people who just stay in the same room all the time, it must, I would imagine the temperature gets kind of like background and invisible. But when I get in that van after spending a lot of time out in the cold and get to crank it up, it's like, we just lay there in the dark with the radio playing and like, just enjoy the heat. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh man, music and heat, like this itself is such a good thing.
1: Indeed. And uh, we take our dog on a walk in the mornings and evenings. And I've discovered like Gumby does his exercises. He's been doing that for years now, I think. And I've discovered that if it is a cold morning, I indeed can go and do like 10 push pushups. And indeed. I will, indeed. I will indeedly be warmed. Mm-hmm. Indeedly.
0: And let's not forget that Sex involves both body heat, skin-to-skin contact, and <laughs> friction. So, uh, you know, don't rule that out. So if you're lucky enough to be able to share your space with someone, um, let it get a little bit cold. And then suggest that you, too, don't have to be so cold. Hmm. What kind of fools would just sit there in the cold when there's this tool right here that would both, through friction and body contact, uh, produce mutual warmth? Mm. Right, Teresa? Mm-hmm. You know what's something we didn't talk about?
1: We didn't talk about that it rained the other day and it filled up the creek. We'll talk about it, girl. Okay, uh, real quick, because I was just thinking about, like, attitude and how it feels so good to just have... The warmth of the fire or the warmth when the heat's turned on in the van. But I cannot take for granted the rain. It finally rained here after so many months of everything just being more and more dry. And the lake bed was, like, drying up four feet every day further down. And the lake water was getting all nasty. And here it rained the other day so heavily. And it filled up our creek. I mean, flowing, The lake even filled up. We were so surprised and amazed and happy. So, yeah, I just wanted to point out that the rain happened, and I'm so excited, and I guess that leads me to attitude. If you have a good attitude when it's cold, you'll enjoy the sun when it's peeking out from the clouds, and uh, soaking up that vitamin D from the sun doesn't hurt either.
0: Yeah. I mean, remember, if you're roughing it like this, you're on an adventure, you know, and like humor. Laugh at yourself. There's going to be so many times that things like get absurd and they can go one of two ways. Again, which self are you going to pretend to be? Are you going to pretend to be that self that's embarrassed, that feels like, oh my God, like this is a reflection of me. I'm like, I'm just such a horrible person. I can't do this. Are you going to be that self that's like, man, I'm kind of a fucking funny hobo and this shit's hilarious. Like good on me for fucking trying this shit, you know, and and that sun's going to come up tomorrow and I'll figure this shit out.
1: You're going to, your pronoun is funny hobo self
0: funny hobo self yes i've been called worse i've been called (laughs) much worse um sunshine and vitamin d and uh i guess i'd just add in a pinch well wind breaks pay attention where the wind's blowing if you can find a place that you're out of the wind on a cold day you're going to be warmer wind is a big factor and that's one of the things i like about this life is that i feel more connected because weather is important to a hobo You are invested in paying more attention to the weather.
1: And and notice, Gumby, that it says wind break, not break wind. I think you get confused. Oh, damn.
0: (laughs) Bad on me all this time. Man, I wonder how many other dyslexics are farting up fans out there. Wow. And in a pinch, don't forget, insulation is important. So you can stuff if you have, like, not enough clothes Um, Newspapers, (laughs) leaves, in between layers of your clothes and increase insulation Dead airspace
1: And I'll tell you what As you're stuffing your clothing with leaves and or crumpled up newspaper You repeat as a mantra This is normal, this is normal, this is normal, this is
0: normal And don't underestimate confidence. If you walk around like it is normal, you may be surprised at how many people you can convince. It turns out the world is full of drooling idiots. Like, I swear, 95% of the people out there are watching the other 5% to see what is indeed acceptable and normal. And unfortunately, that 5% consists of some of the most evil fucking bastards you can imagine. But you can be part of that 5%. You can walk around with newspapers stuffed in your clothes like... What? Why don't you have newspaper stuff in your clothes?
1: Are you cold? Yeah.
0: You you don't know this? Leaves
1: in your pants.
0: So, yeah, you can convince a lot of people more than you think. People seem to be too busy being that 95% and just worried about what everybody else thinks thinks about them. But if you can get into that 5%, man, fuck them people. (laughs) 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 And uh, I just want to point out we're reading Charles Bukowski together. And how did you describe Bukowski the other day? Well, oh man,
1: you said he was like a like a dock worker, but like a poetic dock worker or yeah, something so. like that, like blue collar, but, but really insightful. Like he just gives you enough. He paints a picture enough that you get it, but it's not overkill. I really like that about him. It's He's, just enough.
0: Yeah. I'm, my favorite book so far, we read it a couple of years ago, I think was Ham on Rye. It was our first book written by him, read some of his poetry and now we're reading post office. And yeah, like Teresa said, he's just so crass and vulgar. He's like a dock worker from like, I don't know, the Bronx or something. But um, there's also a poetry like, you know, there's just certain ways he describes stuff that's like, man, it's like he nailed it. So I just really enjoy reading Bukowski. Um, He's not really like a great role model for life, but that's not what he's trying to be. He's just (laughs) writing about that life. So it's awesome. Um, And my last thought on wilderness survival is a reflection I've had is that my age with my body, it's not about getting completely free of civilization. I might've already said this, I don't remember in this episode, but it might be worth repeating. (laughs) But a lot of people try to think of that big mountain they can't climb as an excuse not to even start. I don't think at my age with my body, I worry about my health. You know, that's one of my big things. Like sometimes my liver will feel swollen. Sometimes I get weird, like shit on my skin. And sometimes I, you know, just feel dizzy. I feel like whatever. And it's like, I'm practicing not using modern medicine. And from what I've seen of people that do, I'm not inspired to do it. Those people seem pretty fucked up themselves. Hmm. So, but it's scary. It's scary. I get indoctrinated with like, oh, go to the doctor. Doctor equals healing, period. Even though I've learned that's absolutely not true. But it's still scary to like get older, to have these health things. And uh, I don't think I could just go out in the middle of the woods and live completely free of civilization. I don't think so. I think it would kill me. Um,
1: As is evidenced on the that show alone that we've been watching. It's it's not about thriving.
0: It partly, yeah. Alone is instructive, but as we've talked about, the chips are somewhat set up against. Well, them. that's true too. They're getting out there in late autumn, hitting the ground running in like a really harsh place. So I don't base like what a survival situation would look like for everybody on what they go through. That's meant to be harsh and competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you could do a lot better than them, um, and I might be able to do it, but I'm just—that's not my goal because of my age and the things I said, Um, for me, it's about getting as close to that freedom as I can. That's where I want to live. I want to see where that edge is, and I want to be there. That's what feels like the right life. If I get where I think it is and then discover somewhere down the road, I think I could actually do with less or replace this with this Mm -hmm. or learn this, then I want to be right there. If I get to a certain age and I'm like, all right, this doesn't feel right anymore, I want to back off a little bit, but wherever that edge is for me, that's where I want to live. And I think that's what Peace Pilgrim called the need level. Mm -hmm. She just didn't, for her truth, didn't bring in like survival skills so much into it. But for me, I think it would look different and it should. Everybody's need level is going to be different. And those are my final thoughts, Teresa.
1: Well, fantastic. I have a short listener right in that was from a short shot That we do in between seasons. Is it by a short person? I don't know. It was Thomas from Dearborn, Michigan.
0: Oh, I'm going to get short with him.
1: And uh, Thomas listened to the shots called The Dog and the Wolf, which I highly recommend. And Thomas writes, I'd love to be away from society. Society is in quotes. So, yeah, me too, Thomas. Right on.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I agree with Thomas.
1: All right, Thomas. Well,
0: although we hope you're still not factoring in bojangles and stuff like that, I gotta say, there are things about society that I do enjoy. I just recognize the bigger picture that society needs to, Mm -hmm. uh, I think, come down.
1: We gotta take one for
0: the team. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Hey, so if you want to write in and be like Thomas and have your name mentioned thrice in uh, or long or more in one episode, Thomas, Thomas, um, you can write in. On our website, escapingsociety.weebly with a B.com, and it's right there on the homepage. You don't really have to look. You can even spam us, evidently, um, because, yeah, you can just do that. Um, and we had a Facebook page. It might still be there. It might not. At Escaping Society, look for the burning rocking chair. And we have a YouTube channel, which. Remember to
0: hit the stop button when you stop. I gotta go piss.
1: Okay. Which. Um, You can find via our website, and we also have a donate button. So if we have taken up your time, but you feel like you want to pay us, you can do that too. (laughs) And Gumby's gone, so I'm going to end this by saying thank you and hope to talk to you soon.